you don't have a sermon outline, they're out on the back table. It's uh, good to see everyone. Uh, very full service this morning, a lot of wonderful things. We just give God the praise that he continues to bless us with uh, just, yeah, just so many things that we as a congregation can be a part of. It's just wonderful. And I'm thinking about the word this morning, and if you're new with us, um, we are in a series, a 26-week series on the book of Matthew. Uh, we're now in the 21st week, uh, which is a part of us spending 10 weeks on actually the last week of Jesus' life. And uh, so we're having an opportunity to really look at and focus on um, something that sometimes we just go through very quickly in one week during the uh, Holy Week. But we're having an opportunity to look at each one, and it's, it's a great blessing to be able to do that. Um, the last, last week and this week, the focus is on the future. The focus is on the future. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, we live in a culture with tremendous pressure concerning the future, don't we? There's, you know, from when, when kids are, like, this big, there's already a lot of, like, preparation with regard to, like, what school they're going to. Should they be playing a particular sport so they can get a scholarship in high school? Uh, how many club teams should they be on? Uh, when we go through the list of all that happens, you know, um, we have a culture where we're being pressed to be saying we need to be sort of preparing for the future. So I have a couple images just to give us an idea of sort of how that works, right? Here's, here's a, an advertisement. The future belongs to those who prepare for it today. And it looks like the brain's exploding, right? It's like, look at all this stuff that I need to be looking at when I'm thinking about the future, all this stuff that's going on. The next one, put the next one up. The best way to predict your future is to create it. Well, that sounds really good, right? But we do know that, yeah, there are times certainly when we can do things and it does create opportunities and those opportunities can turn into good things. But the reality is, is we have no certainty on the future. We have no idea what's going to happen to us today. We have no idea how our plan is going to be short-circuited by a sickness or by a change in ownership of a company. Or well, we go through the whole list of everything, right? So even though, yes, we should be looking at things and we do want to create opportunities, there's no guarantee in any of this, right? So we, we can create our future. Mm, I think that goes a bit too far, right? And then the next thing is certainly you're all, you know, my financial plan. What is, what is my financial plan, right? And there's this idea that we can get to a particular age, 65 or 70, and then we can have a taste of heaven on earth. That's really the way it works, right? And the reality is, of course, no, because there's so many intangibles and so many things that can happen through the course of our lives. Um, crisis, tragedies, things that happen. So, yes, should we be financial planning? Of course. But how do we hold it? We hold it very lightly because we never know what's going to happen in our lives. But there's this pressure, right, this pressure to do this. And if you do it this way you're going to have a summer house that you're going to go to for the rest of your life. Or, you know, it's all those types of things, right? And, and so there's this tremendous pressure in our culture with how do we prepare for the future. Um, and, and last week, as we looked at Revela uh, Matthew chapter 24, the disciples were coming to Jesus with the question about, about the future. Tell us about the future. You've told us that the stone upon stone is going to be gone. The temple is going to be destroyed like Okay, if you know the future, tell us a little bit more about it. And it, sort of the question in Matthew 24, verse 3, goes like this, just to remind you from last week. 
As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So in Matthew 24, Jesus then answers this question by revealing the future. There will be calamities, catastrophes, wars, and rumors of wars. Believers will be persecuted, betrayed, and deceived. Love will grow cold. And these are the birth pains until the day of redemption of Jesus' second coming in glory. So he speaks about the world and the way that we see it even now is that all these things are a part of what's going to be happening as the future moves forward. Now, the future is really Christ coming in his glory. And, we, and some of what we were then uh, told by Christ was, how do we apply this? And we looked at a couple of things, is that we're to be living godly lives in the present. That's how we're preparing, um, that we have a conviction of the future, that we know our future because of what Christ has done and because of what he's revealed to us about our future and his coming back again. And we can live out of the certainty of that hope. And if we then do do, are able to do that, then certainly we can become people who uh, become those who are ambassadors for him. We bring this wonderful good news that he's brought to us uh, because that's part of his call into our life. We're compelled by the love of God into our broken world. And that's sort of where we're at when we pick up Matthew 25. And this is our text for the morning, to teach us and disciples how to prepare for the future now. This is an important teaching of Jesus. Remember, this is the last teaching in Matthew before all the events of the cross begin to take place. And he starts by using two familiar parables. The first one is what they call the ten virgins. It's the ten women who have been chosen to escort the bridegroom on that night to uh, literally his bride and then to the wedding. And that's, that's a big tradition. And that's, that's sort of what, uh, what was happening in that culture. It was a great honor to be a part of this and to be invited. And the ten, uh, the ten women are invited they are waiting for the bridegroom. There's a delay. There's another delay. And it tells us that after a long time, they got drowsy and they fell asleep. And then finally around midnight, the bridegroom came. And in the midst of that, there were five who were wise, it says, because they had brought oil for the torches to be leading the procession. But another five had not brought the oil and they had to go buy it. And as a result of that, the five who were wise went into the banquet with the bridegroom and they were able to celebrate that. The five who came back late, who had to go buy the oil, they were basically closed out. And Jesus said to them, I do not know you. So, and what is the point that Jesus wants to get across in this parable is to make sure you have real faith. That in your heart, you know Jesus' salvation and have a relationship with him. And the key to this is the Holy Spirit. So in the parable... The oil represents the Holy Spirit. If you go through all the Old Testament and the symbols, oil has this representation of the Holy Spirit. So that's the idea. The five who were wise brought oil. The Holy Spirit was with them. It is the Holy Spirit who brings conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment, who pursues us with irresistible grace, who regenerates our hearts he leads us to repentance and then becomes the sign and seal of our salvation until the day Jesus comes again. And this is our union with Christ. And this is true faith. And the oil, that's the spirit 
all points to genuine faith. Though the five there who had the oil had the spirit, they had genuine faith. And see, each person's faith is theirs alone, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And you understand the people of Israel thought just because they were born into the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this was theirs. It was theirs by birthright. And Jesus has been teaching all along that there needs to be a relationship with him who's now going to become the new Israel. And, and so he's laying this out. And basically for us today, it's the same thing. You know, we, our faith has to be authentically our faith. Okay? It can't be the faith of my parents. It can't be the faith of my pastor. It can't be a faith because I go to church on Sunday morning. It can't be a faith that says I do something good every once in a while. No, it's a faith that's authentic. It's a faith that says, oh, Lord, I see who I am before you. I see that I am a man and woman of unclean lips. I understand that I'm living in rebellion, that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. I see my need of salvation. I need to come to you in repentance. I need to turn. I need to come. I need to seek reconciliation and forgiveness. And when I do that, there it is. In Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, his words, it is finished. The sweet kiss and amen of the resurrection to the Father and the Spirit. And there it is as the Holy Spirit now enters into me, now through irresistible grace and regenerating my heart to be born again. I now have that faith which is authentic. And I can cry out, Abba, Father, and the Spirit testifies within me that I am a son and daughter of the living God. Hallelujah. And that is the authentic faith. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And that's why the five who had the oil couldn't give it to the other five. Because we can't give faith to somebody else. We wish we could. Amen. How many times do we wish we could give faith to our children, to people we see struggling? How many times have I wanted to strangle the Holy Spirit in? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need that work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We need to bring authentic faith with us into the future. Luke 18, 8, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? And that's what he gives us. He gives us faith. And so if you're young here today, it's a good thing for you to be thinking about. Do you have authentic faith in your hearts today? Not your parents' faith. Not that faith when you come to church and you sort of get revved up, but then you go outside and sort of wanes. Or maybe you're someone here and you've been coming to church, but you've never really had a sense of that relationship where you've come and deeply experienced the, the humbling repentance and then the filling of the Holy Spirit in your heart where you now have a sense that his spirit confirms with your spirit that you can say, Abba, Father, this is the time to consider it. It's how you prepare for the future now. So that's the first part. But what does that lead to then? If I'm someone who has faith, then what do I do with that faith? And that's, that's what Jesus is doing. He comes to the next one, which is the parable of the talents. And if you know about this parable at all, it's, it's a, a very wealthy man is going on a journey. Uh, he has servants, and he wants them to steward 
what he gives them. So he gives one five talents, another two talents, and another one talent. And these talents, if you know anything about talents, are a full year's salary. So they're getting a good bit, okay? And then the goal is, is for them to be able to use that because when he comes back, he will want to settle accounts with that. And it takes a long time for him to come back. When he comes back, the one who had five has five more. The one who has two has two more. The one who has one, rather than doing anything at all with it, put it in the ground, basically saying, well, at least, you know, I don't really need to do nothing, but I'll have it to give to him when he comes back. It was sort of this idea of like, I don't really want to worry about those things. I got other things in my life to do. I don't need to be a steward of that. And that was sort of the idea. And I love what John Stott says. I have it in the quote uh, that you guys have there. If you could put that up. Every Christian should be able to say, I am a unique person. That is not conceit. It is a fact. If every snowflake and every blade of grass is unique, how much more is every human being? My uniqueness is due to my genetic endowment, my inherited personality and temperament, my parentage, upbringing and education, my talents, inclinations and interests, my new birth and spiritual gifts. By the grace of God, I am who I am. How then can I, as the unique person God has made me, be stretched in the service of Christ and of people so that nothing he has given me is wasted and everything he has given me is used? This is the idea here, we have now been given faith. In faith, we've been given so many things by Christ. And in particular, we've been given spiritual gifts with everything else that's a part of who we are. And, and sometimes when people think about a readiness for Jesus' return, it's sort of this abstract spiritual type of experience I have to have. But that's not really the way Jesus talks, right? It's a matter of being about the master's business. It's, it's in light of this parable uh, we must ask ourselves, what have we done with our knowledge, our time, our money, our abilities? What have we done with the everyday opportunities to have a faith expressing itself in love? That's really where it's at. Every day we have opportunity to have a faith expressing itself in love. It might be a simple prayer for somebody. It might be helping somebody in your family. It might be reaching into a neighbor who's struggling life. It might be a coworker who, when you see them, you just know that they need prayer, and you go and you just say, can I pray for you? It might be that you hear about somebody that needs a meal, and you bring a meal to them. It's everyday opportunities to use what God has given you. Maybe some of us have more gifts than others, so there's a responsibility to use those gifts more. But everybody, even the one who had one, has the gifts that God has given us, and that's what we're being held accountable to, not what we do, not these glorious things, but are we taking everyday opportunities and having a faith expressing itself in love? That's the idea behind that parable. So it leads from a faith to a faith expressing itself in love. This is how we prepare ourselves for the future now. And this leads us to now what Jesus is going to, I'm going to look at this passage a little more this idea now we're moving and Jesus says, and yes, all of this does lead to a day of accountability. So let's read about that day, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, for you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. A day of accountability. And it's interesting the way it starts. The son of man coming in his glory. Now, now you got to think about this for a second. Okay, here's Jesus. At this particular point when he's saying this, all the religious leaders are literally not only rejecting him, but they're plotting to kill him. And he knows it, right? His popularity has waned. Um, his disciples are fearful. They're scared. He has told them that he's literally going to die, that he's going to go to trial, that he's going to be scourged and tortured, and he's going to go to a cross and die. And in the midst of all of this, here's what he says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, either Jesus is a delusional lunatic or he's God. Right? He's either a delusional lunatic. Who would say something like that with all that was going against him? Or he's God. And what we know is, is he's God. And he knows this. And he's speaking it because he loves the people he's speaking to just like he loves us here today. And he wants to bring truth. He wants people to recognize and be warned. He wants to say, here are the things you need to know. This is how you prepare for the future now because there will be a day of accounting. Jesus speaks of judgment. And he speaks about it as being obvious. It's not like this hidden thing it's obvious. Uh, most people that I know and in our culture, nobody wants to think about it at all. Even people in, in the church, we don't want to think about this at all. You know, is, is it as if it's something that we need to avoid? But what we want to think about is that, you know, life moves on and death is just sort of a continuation of that life as we know it. And, and hopefully it's a continuation and, and it's better. 
and it's better. There's something better on the other side of death, beyond death, and we're going to be entering into that. And we, we have people who write books saying, I died for five minutes, and I saw heaven, and, you know, all these different types of things. But here is Jesus, God himself, talking about this. And it's interesting because to him it's obvious because not only do we all have eternity in our hearts and we do know that there's something after death, but we've all been made in God's image. And God is a God, is a moral God. He's a God who's a God of justice. And our hearts also want to see justice done. And so here is, he is, he's talking about this. And as so you guys know as well as I do, that in this evil world, all sins are not judged, nor are all good deeds rewarded. Is that true? That's true. We have a hard time with that sometimes, especially if it's very personal with us. People suffer. The guilty go free. And if this world was created and ruled by a moral God, then there must be a day of accountability in which the tables are balanced. And that's what Jesus talks about. And it's talked about throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus speaks about it. And I love what Paul says in Romans 3.19. Every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Can there be any clearer statement? Every mouth will be silenced and every person will be held accountable to God. As God tells us in Scripture, the day of judgment is mine. Don't seek revenge, for these things are mine. And so as, as he speaks about this, he then gives a final description of what kind of faith it is that actually waits for the bridegroom. It's not a dead faith. It's not a dead faith. It is a living faith. And the Apostle James speaks to this in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Let me read this to you. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, suppose, sorry, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Very clear words by James. And what's he really speaking about there? Is, is he now saying, oh, wait a second, um, this, is, this is salvation by works. And, you know, all of us who are in the grace camp are like, the ears go up and we're ready to jump on something like that. But that's not really what he's saying. What he's basically saying is, if I have faith, then those works will be a part and an expression of that faith living in and out of me because it's the same heart that the Holy Spirit has because the Holy Spirit is Christ himself and we're being compelled by that love. And as we do that, we move out. And I love um, what he says here because I think it's really important. He, he says here in the very beginning of this passage, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He's basically saying, you see, your faith 
is already something that I have given to you as a gift. It was actually planned before the foundation of the world. You are elect, and I'm saying to you, come into your inheritance, and what's happening is you are coming into that inheritance as one who's lived out the very things that I'm talking about here because you've had the Holy Spirit in your heart. And Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 sort of speaks to both of these. Listen to this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But now listen to verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Hallelujah. Do you see that? So on the day of accountability, these things will be before the Lord because this is what gives the Lord glory. These are the things that represent the character of heaven on earth. This is where the compassion of Christ is known. This is where, by God's grace, we become the aroma of Christ, where we become the ambassadors of Christ, the ministers of reconciliation that he's called us to be, that we live out those lives before people. Hallelujah. And we're doing it as the Spirit moves us. As a matter of fact, they were doing it so naturally, they didn't even know they were doing it anymore. How powerful is that? That it becomes just a part of our natural instinct, that this is the way we move in the people's lives. And, and, and really, when he talks about this, he is talking about ministering to the family of God, right? And I love what Paul says in Galatians 6, 9 to 10. Listen to these words. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It doesn't exclude us from doing good to others. Certainly the, the Good Samaritan parable speaks to that. But it's this idea that we are a family that reaches into one another's lives. And isn't it true that he says the world will know us by the way we love one another? So the family of God is very important for us to be sharing the love of Christ with, to being merciful, to being people who forgive one another. I truly believe the church in today's culture has lost the ability to forgive. I'm sorry, some of the Facebook stuff out there and everything, the polarization, the attacking of one another's, making somebody an enemy if they have a different viewpoint than you have, all of that is anathema to this. And it will come up on that throne as that that needs to be done by fire. Because this is not the heart of the one who's sitting on the throne of glory. Especially with one another. I may not agree, but brother and sister, I love you, and I will reach out. We've been bought by the blood of Christ himself. Hallelujah. The church loving one another. So yes, the question before us is, do you have authentic faith today? And I want to encourage you, if the Spirit's been speaking to your heart, 
hear the Holy Spirit. If you're a young person today and the Spirit's really speaking to your heart saying, I need to make my own profession of faith before the Lord. I would encourage you to go home. What the Spirit did to me, I went home, I went into the bedroom and I just laid my heart out before the Lord and I came out a changed person. And I've been running ever since then. Took away all the desires for drugs. Mind up making me a pastor. Incredible that I would be a pastor. But it was going in and humbling myself because the Spirit was moving me in that direction. I needed to have my own faith. I grew up as an altar boy. I did all this stuff. But I did not know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? That's the first thing. The second thing is, what are you you going to do with the talents that God's given you, the opportunities God's given you? You know, I was thinking about this, and when I first became a Christian, I was 28 years old. I'd begun to do some things. But then I I began to do some ministry, and for some reason I think I probably had a midlife crisis in the middle of it because... I, I just was up at night. I, was, I had all these worries. Um, I thought I was making myself go blind and couldn't swallow. And, I mean, just a whole host of all these things that were going on. I remember taking this word out, and, and in particular, Matthew 25, as I read this about sheep and the goats, it was like the Spirit really used that and said, Ange, stop worrying about yourself. Why don't you go worry about somebody else? You know where Vance Church is? You know Miss Dawkins down there? She's asked for some help down there. Why don't you go down there and help? I'm like, what? Go down to the high rise? Run some type of Bible study down there with a bunch of teenagers? No way. I ain't doing that. That's just crazy. But the Spirit continued to do that work and saying, how are we going to use, this is an opportunity that I've laid before you. Are you going to take this opportunity and see what God does with it and with you? Well, here we are 30-some years later. We still have a partnership with our brothers and sisters of Vision and Missions. We've done many things together. Um, they, again, sent a representative over to Eswatini with us on the team. Pastor Van has been there with me over 30-some times. We have seen God use us in partnership in the city. We've seen them split a church called Verity, which is now at uh, 20th and Diamond, and they're doing an amazing work down there in that community. Um, I would have missed, we would have missed all that blessing without stepping into the opportunity. Always stepping into the opportunities God gives us. So when I think about where I'm at on my sabbatical, Then I start thinking about, well, Lord, is this another opportunity that you're calling me to step into? And, well, reveal that to me, because I do. I do want to step in to the things you're calling me to do, because I do believe that we all need to be encouraged in mission and mercy. And I, I know that I constantly need to be challenged and convicted in my own heart, because I'm very quick to say I've done enough. I need my own time. I think about my mother-in-law. She's going to be 99 years old. (laughs) And the legacy she's left for us is that she continues 
to serve and take the opportunities that God has given her. And what a blessing that is for us, for my family, for the Church of Christ. And may that be what all of us experience if God gives us life and health. So these are some of these challenges of the scripture before us this morning. It's a good challenge because there is a day of accountability. There is a day of accountability. And God's people are going to come up. Our works are going to be before the Lord. And I was just thinking of a great passage of Scripture to to think about, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. Let me just read this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection. There's that affection, one another, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Don't forget who you are in Christ. And if things are hindering you from seeing the promises is alive in your heart, know that it's something that is in your heart that's hindering the spirit. We're grieving and quenching the spirit, so ask the spirit, go to repentance, be set free, so that you can grow in these things. It's just a wonderful gift that he's given us. And let's remember this. I don't think God's coming back anytime soon because his word tells me that a day's like a thousand years. And we're only a couple thousand years into this. So I, I just don't think that that's where we're going with this. But here's what I do know. Our day of judgment could be tomorrow. Our day of judgment could be we walk out the door. Because our day of judgment is when we die. And we don't know the time or the hour. So let's take seriously these words of Jesus. Let's prepare for the future now. He's given us all we need to know. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters... Let's heed the word of our Savior this morning. May God move us in that direction. We are the people who on that day will be, as it says in that quote right there that you have from Spurgeon, Christ gives his people all the goodness of the past, the present, and the future. In the mysterious ages of the past, the Lord Jesus was his father's first elect. He shares his election with us because we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. Let's hear those words together. And then the words, well done, good and faithful servants.
Amen. Let me just pray for us. Father in heaven, I just come to you this morning. I just, I'm so thankful for how you speak. Even as you're about to die, your heart is so full of wanting your people to know. How do we prepare for your coming? How do we prepare for our own death? And you lay the truth out for us. And I just pray for each person here that we would have an authentic faith. Oh, Lord, every person represented here, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come with irresistible grace and regenerate our hearts and reveal to us our, our need and that we would know the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation and adoption as children. I pray that for each person here. I pray for those families here who have adult children. I pray for um, those relatives of ours who don't know you. I pray it, Lord, for our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers, and I pray for that revival and awakening across the globe, Lord. And I pray today for us who have been given this wonderful gift of faith that we would step into the work you prepared in advance for us to do, that it would be as natural as breathing for us to step in with love and compassion and mercy and prayer and forgiveness that you might be known, that you might be known by our love. We pray for this, Lord. And we thank you that when you come again, we might be able to stand with the sheep, rejoicing in the knowledge that we will walk with you forever, see you face to face, how wonderful that will be. See our hearts now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.